I think if you want to find success as an entrepreneur, you really, really, really have to believe in what you're doing, period. That was Castel Valère Couturier. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. You are listening to episode 83, featuring Castel Valère Couturier, CEO and founder of SoundOff the globally renowned wireless headphone company fueling silent audio experiences around the world, including silent discos, yoga, meditation, hiking, gallery tours, cinematic and musical performances, and more. If you attended our January 2019 Marnie on the Move Well-Intentioned Summit, we hosted a live-to-headset podcast series at Chelsea Pierce Fitness in New York City and Brooklyn, as well as a series at WeWork using the sound off headsets for the ultimate audio experience. On today's episode, Castell and I sync up about where and how sound off came to fruition, the challenges and opportunities of entrepreneurship, his musical beginnings growing up in New York City, his love of running, and a few top business lessons he has learned. I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Just go to your app, scroll through past several of the episodes, click on write a review, click on five stars, and then write your review. Tell me what you love, what you want to hear more of. You can also DM us, email me, moneyonthemove1 at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for future guests or questions for one of the 83 guests that have been on the podcast. Also, we have lots of exciting things coming up this fall, so stay tuned. Now, on to the episode. We are here today with Castel Valère Couturier. Where are you from, Castel? I'm originally from New York. From New York, but you have a French name. Yes. My parents are French. They're both from Martinique, uh, which is a small island in the West Indies, but I was born here, first generation American. Random. I always like to hear where people come from. It's so interesting. You have this great business that you discovered while traveling. Tell me a little bit about SoundOff. We specialize in producing events with wireless headphones. I mean, our I started the company about eight years ago as an experiment. Essentially, as you mentioned, I was uh, I was traveling. Funny enough, it was about. I guess nine years ago, almost this weekend, I had, um, prior to starting this company, I had a consulting business in the eyewear industry. And I worked with independent eyewear brands, helping them get distribution in, in the U.S. market. We also did software consulting for uh, retail stores that didn't have any way of like tracking their inventory. So we did practice management, software inventory, management, sales software, all that stuff. But I spent my first year, four years just really trying to figure out the business of what I was doing. I got into that industry completely by accident. I met a guy while I was in Vegas 
we had a couple cocktails together and a year later he called me and was like, you know, like I need you to run my business on the East coast. And it was just like a, like there was like a transition point that I was going through. And I was at the time I was living in Denver, Colorado. And I was like, sure, let's do this. And I packed my stuff up and moved to New York. And, and this is sound off. No. So oh, this, this is my previous business. company, right? Yeah. So tell me about your previous company before sound off. Yeah. So that's what you were talking about. So yeah, okay. exactly. So I was, so I was running this eyewear consultancy and what was it called? It's called unique group. Four years in, I'm at eyewear trade show actually in New York at the Javits Center and one of my industry colleagues it was 5 p.m. the last day the last hour of the trade show writing his final order the guy was maybe 45 years old he had a heart attack and died oh my gosh and I had a moment of reflection because I'd just been on the go, like nonstop. I mean, at the time I was traveling over 200 days a year, like 200, 250 days a year, just straight on the road. And I said, you know what? Life has got to be about more than this. And I took eight weeks of vacation, just stopped everything. I went away, I traveled. And my last week uh, of vacation, I ended up in Tel Aviv with one of my best friends. And we went out to a bar one night, I think it's called Galena, and they have this uh, it's right on the beach. It's right off the beach. And um, inside, it's like, you know, fist pumping dance club, you know, sweating, yeah. cocktails flowing, the whole thing. And outside, they had this gorgeous patio overlooking the, you know, overlooking the beach. Um, but they couldn't have amplified sound. So if you wanted to listen to the music that was playing inside, you could get a pair of headphones. And at first I was like, well, this is a stupid idea. Like, why would I like want to wear headphones? I'm like, you know, enjoying this loud music. And but eventually I wanted to listen to the music and there was no other way for me to do it. So I got some headphones and I stayed out on that patio for the rest of the night. I mean, I loved it. It wasn't a silent disco per se. It was just a way to listen to the music outdoors. And I started looking into the concept more. And I I saw that the idea of silent disco was a lot more prolific out in Europe and wasn't really happening in the States. And when I lived in Denver, I was doing a lot in sort of like the nightlife entertainment industry and actually had a a guy that I knew in Denver who was uh, building an outdoor amphitheater in downtown Denver and was having issues with the city, like giving him noise permits, permits for this. Right. And I came back to Denver and I was like, Hey, I just saw this, like this really cool thing in Israel. I think it could be like a way for you to circumnavigate what's going on with the city. You know, what do you think? And essentially his response was, I'm building a retractable roof, like this headphone thing. I don't, you know, like, no. <laughs> so they did. They built um, a retractable yeah, it's, roof. Yeah, uh, it, it, they actually, I mean, they built out this place it's called City Hall Amphitheater and they have a massive and super expensive retractable roof. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like when, when you know, we've worked together now for a couple of years on different events with our festival with fit plus love and I was planning my summit and I had the same situation like I wasn't thinking you know I'm going to create this concept where I want to have like a live to headset podcast so people feel like they're in the room where that where it happens which is kind of the way it turned out but I was just trying to get people to be able to listen to the podcast and the panels and there was other noise in the room and if it was just direct to microphone then they would have never been able to hear what I was saying. Yeah. I feel like all 
brilliant ideas <laughs> start with a problem that you need to solve. Right. And it's, it's a really transformative experience. And so, you know, even though, um, essentially I got a no from him, I was just super fired up about the idea and on, I did a little bit of sourcing at the time and on my next trip to China, I found a factory that could make headphones for me. And we just like went in blind. Like I really didn't have a model at the time. I just knew that there was something special about this experience, the way that I was interacting with the music and with the sound and with the environment. And I just wanted to share that. So that's kind of where it all started for us. And our first event was December of 2010. And it was sort of, you know, one headset at a time building the business and building the market and, and building the interest because not because one of the things that I found most compelling um, as I was going along with this was that nine out of 10 people that I would talk to, they say, Castell, this is insane. Like, this is such a stupid idea. Why would people want to have headphones and a dance party and a this and a that? And I said, you know what? Just come down and check it out. Put on a pair of headphones and see how you feel afterwards. And... After people would experience, we started doing silent discos at the beginning. They would say, oh my God, this was incredible. When could I do this again? It was like sort of nine out of 10 came in as skeptics and nine out of 10 came out just like super excited about what I was doing. There was the 10th person. I was like, you know what? This isn't for me, but I get it now, you know? Right. And yeah. for me, that was like really powerful because in all of the projects and products that I'd been involved with, I'd never seen that kind of transformation. It was instantaneous, right? People right. put on the headphones and it completely changed everything about the way that they were experiencing or like understanding what we were doing. Right. You know? And so I just decided to continue plugging along about, you know, fast forward four years, you know, I was just sort of seeing like things were like, there's this momentum building up and, you know, because I had my other company, I didn't have a lot of time to put into SoundOff. So you were still doing your eyewear company exactly. and consulting. Exactly. So SoundOff was your side it hustle. Was my, it was my side hustle. But I just, you know, I was just so enamored with the interactions I was having with people and, and the excitement. And, uh, and then I just decided, I was like, you know what, this is, this is it. Like, this is where I've got to like double down and focus my time. And I closed down my other business and just started going hard sound off full time. Was it hard for you to make that jump from having that steady sort of solid business with your eyewear consulting company to taking the risk to just put it all into sound off? For sure. And to be honest, it wasn't completely calculated, you know, like, right. I, you know, like my other company was like, was doing very well. It was like, it's sort of like the best times in my life, right? Like I built something that was going great. I had great customers, I had great relationships in the industry. And, and then I was like, you know, I just decided I was going to let all that go and take a chance on this. And I really, like I said, it wasn't completely calculated. Because sort of interesting from like a financial standpoint, I was doing really well and then I was sort of like investing in sound off and I wasn't really concerned with the sort of financial success of right. the events and the projects that we were working with. It was really about getting it out, spreading the word and marketing. And then when I, you know, I had like a sort of six month transition period as I was winding things down in the other business. And, and then I was like, oh my God. I got to pay rent, you know, like <laughs> there's, you know, it suddenly we, hit you. <laughs> it, right. It hit me. And then we had, you know, we had to redo the website. We had to like redo all of our marketing. And there's just like a tremendous amount of capital that had to go into revamping the business to make it a serious thing. And all that sort of coupled with the fact that there wasn't an existing model for what we did. Right. You know, when we first started 
hosting events, it was like, all right, cool, we're doing something ticketed. But as we started sort of veering off and working with corporate event planners and meeting planners and entertainment companies and all this stuff, we're sort of pioneering new areas that, well, how much should we charge for this? You know, what right. are people willing to pay for this? And it was just like a bunch of trial and error to figure out like what the model was. But I was like deep in it. And so it's funny because you hear a lot of stories about bootstrapping startups. And I think that sometimes obviously it's nice to have that cushion to yeah. you know be like all right cool i've got this funded for you know a year or two years but sometimes the urgency of having to generate revenue for survival really kicks things into high gear right cuz you just don't have an option and it was funny because when we started i didn't have the liberty to offer services for free even if people didn't understand what we were doing they're skeptical like right. i've made them pay you that's know? so smart <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's like it's yeah. a, it's it's a really difficult ask yes. and and i think because also you don't sometimes even i feel like you know you don't know the outcome of a situation. So you're taking a risk, but do you want to bring everyone else into the mix to take the risk with you? I mean, that's not what they're signing up for. Right, exactly. And, you know, as a mixture of that, I also think that it really early on helped us establish value behind what we were doing, right? Because we just, you know, everything that we did had to drive the business, right? So we were very strategic about the relationships that we engaged in and, you know, the the transactions that were the right fit for the business, right? So we're like, look, you know, maybe right now is not the right time for us to work together. Like we'd love to keep the conversation going, but I can't do this for five bucks or whatever it is, you know? And sort of, you know, moving forward that really shaped like part of the ethos of the company. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that, even though at the very beginning it was, it was tough. Yeah, know, for sure. I remember when I first started hearing about Sound Off and I had actually heard about the silent disco before I heard about Sound Off, but I feel like they were sort of right around the same time because mm-hmm. I was watching Gossip Girl and there was an episode, I don't even know what year it was, so there was an episode where they went to a silent disco in the Hamptons and... It was on my radar and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Mostly because I I always wear headphones. I love to be disconnected from all the noise outside. Right. And it really helps me, especially when I'm working out or running and I love music and especially dance music. I was really excited, but I had never been to a silent disco. Right. And you know, that's actually, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think one of the things that's been... Or one of the powerful things that's helped the business grow is the fact that most people, when they put on headphones, it's to isolate themselves, right? Like you're putting headphones to be more focused or get away or to not listen to the people on the train or or whatever it is, right? But we bring people together through headphones, right? So you're able to have your own private experience, but in a group setting, right? right? And there's something that's really special about that because it changes the dynamic of sort of what what's a normal social interaction like normally you've got your headphones I got my headphones on there's no way that we're connected but you're very connected in the silent disco and it's actually one of the things that people especially early on they're like well you know if I'm doing a silent disco like how can I talk to someone and I always use a, a funny anecdote because right out of college my first job I launched little John's crunk juice energy drink <laughs> And we need to talk about your <laughs> entrepreneur story because you, yeah, it sounds like entrepreneurship is in your DNA. Like you were telling me the story about your grandfather and your father. So yeah. that's like 
so I, uh, and you know, little John, he was known, like he had his keywords, like what? Okay. And yeah, you know? And so I'd always tell people, I was like, normally when you're out in a bar, you're talking to your friend, like you're essentially talking to them, like your little John, you're like, what? Like, can you get me a drink? What? You know, like, cause it's uh-huh. so loud. It's hard to have a conversation. Yeah. And you know, like people don't understand until they're in a silent disco and they want to have a conversation with the person. They just like, pull off their headphone or they turn the volume down and or they put the headphones around their neck and they have a conversation. And there is a big part of when you go out of being able to connect with people and talk to someone. And sometimes it's too loud to do that. People leave the evening. They have no voice because they're screaming over the music, whatever it is. And this like completely changes that experience, you know, really interesting for us to see that transformation for people as they've experienced the technology. Yeah. And I feel like also just like that's one thing I mean, you can always take them off and have a conversation but I also think it's, it is a community. So, you know, speaking of having your own experience and then being in a room with a group of people and experiencing their energy, that is a very unique experience. And I feel like that's what Murray with Mind Travel does with his musical meditation. And he's been a guest on the podcast. And yeah. I know it's funny how you guys had been working together and know each other for years and Murray and I have known each other forever and I worked with him. Murray's actually a a funny story because I found him like back in the day, like I used to manage all of our Instagram accounts, you know, and I was in LA and I saw something pop up in my feed and I, I started to check him out. He was doing these piano concerts at the beach and he was using a headphone, but I knew like the quality wasn't great. And I actually have a background in classical music. I, I went to a school here in the city that was like specialized for music and um, I played concert piano growing up. And so I've always like sort of been, you know, musically related or mm-hmm. musically involved. And, uh, and I saw what Murray was doing. I was like, man, this is awesome. And for me, it just piqued my interest because I had, you know, this classical background. And I was like, wow, being able to do a concert you don't have to be in a symphony hall to get great acoustics or whatever. I think this is awesome. And so we connected and started talking and then, you know, eventually started working together. And, and I love what he does. It's super powerful. And I love that he's been able to take this experience, bring it outdoors. And now they're doing like the silent hikes and the meditations. And um, actually, when I was at Wellspring last year, I got to do the underwater experience, which is phenomenal. Yes. Um, he did that with Equinox, right? Was it at Equinox or where did he do that? So that was at Wanderlust. Um, But I think he's done something with Equinox in in one of their pools. Um, But it's such a, it's such a cool thing. And and that's, you know, for us, um, you know, I've always been really interested in trying to find all the ways that we can use the technology because, you know, it started off in silent disco and kind of what I was saying earlier was when I discovered the technology, it was, you know, more prolific in Europe. What I was seeing was mostly that it was, you know, underground raves and parties in the woods and, you know, like there's a lot of blur involved and I've got nothing against, you know, rave wear or whatever it is, but I felt like this was something that could be enjoyed by the masses, right? You didn't need to like be in the woods to enjoy this headphone experience. You know, at the end of the day, what we are doing is we're creating personalized wireless audio experiences for people. And that can be obviously silent disco is one way that we deliver that. We do, you know, meetings and and conferences and events and translations. We do live music. Actually, one of the coolest things that we did a couple years ago, we did an event, the Times Square Alliance, where we actually had like a full electronic orchestra playing in Times Square. Little known fact, Times Square has a sound ordinance. It kicks in at 10 p.m. So after 10 p.m., they can't do live sound. 
Oh, wow. I know, right? Like, who would have thunk? Because it's so bright and, and loud. loud. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been really trying to pioneer our new applications for the technology, right? And uh, and that's actually what drove us into the wellness space. Right. So we worked with you with Fit Plus Love for our big fitness festival with Union Square Sweatfest. Mm-hmm. And that's where we met. Correct. At the W Hotel. Yep. Doing yoga with headphones. It was great times. <laughs> was I was converted that night because honestly, like before, you know, I'm a yogi and I was like, how are we going to do yoga with headphones? Yeah, like, are they going to so stay weird. on? Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. And it was awesome. The funny story about our journey into the wellness industry is that, you know, I like I, I didn't have a background in wellness at all. In fact, I went on sort of like a last minute trip to Tulum with a friend of mine. And, you know, Tulum's like a yoga mech. Right. And so I went and took some classes, but it was way too spiritual for me. I didn't understand that there was different kinds of, you know, there's flow yoga and hatha and ashtanga and whatever it was. And so like it was, I don't remember what it was, but it was definitely there was like the gongs and there's incense and there was like chanting. And I was like, you know, <laughs> like, not no. for me. Right. <laughs> yes. And when we did developed the second generation of our headphone, I was, uh, so I, I've been in a long distance relationship five years and my girlfriend and I were, were Skyping and I was like, Hey, I just figured like I was trying our new headphones on and I was like, I can do a handstand with these. And she was like, why does that matter? I was like, I think we can do yoga. And she was like, why would anyone want to do yoga with headphones? And I was like, I don't know, but like, I'm going to find out. And we actually had just got gotten hired to do a silent disco for a music festival in Hong Kong. Um, and there was a yoga studio that was participating, you know, doing activations and holding classes. But um, the setting for this music festival was pretty cool. It's called the Secret Island Party. And the organizers rented this island right off the coast of Hong Kong. And they had five different musical stages set up, one of which was on the beach, and they couldn't have amplified sound on the beach. So they brought us in to run the sound for the beach stage. And so I reached out to this uh, yoga studio called Yoga Bam Bam, and I said, hey, I've got this idea. Would you be interested in sort of checking it out, seeing you know, see what, what, what happens? And she was great. She was like totally down to give it a shot. And our first events that we hosted, we had like 100 people show up to do That's this. That's so cool. We had live DJ, yoga flow, right on the beach, sunset, sunrise, and it was incredible. And we actually got booked for a series of events. It was like 12 weeks in Hong Kong, uh, which is very interesting because I didn't have an operation in Hong Kong at the time. I just had to kind of like figure out like how we're going to make this happen, right? Um, But that's where our whole wellness program started, and it was sort of twofold. One was people loved... um, being able to hear the instructor, right? Because a lot of times in outdoor events, it's really hard to hear the person that's speaking. It's hard to hear the music. If you're in the front, you're getting blasted with the music. And if you're in the back, it's, you know, you can't hear it, whether it's, you know, wind noise. Yeah, I can't hear anyway. Right. Like I can't hear in any class. So I just follow whoever's doing (laughs) something Exactly. You're just like looking at someone in front of you, right? So being able to close your eyes, listen to the instructor's voice and really intimate. It's like, you know, the instructors whispering into your ear um, and having the DJ curate the soundscape behind that, like have it perfectly mixed for you, regardless of where you are, really democratize the sonic experience for people and people loved it, right? The other thing is that ironically, the Chinese government is very difficult to pull sound permits from. So for these studios that are trying to host outdoor events and stuff like that, it was 
very, very difficult. So with our system, they didn't have to do that. They could just pop up anywhere and organize. And so there was, you know, because you know, Hong Kong's got, you know, some of the most re- you know, expensive real estate in the world. So a lot of these studios, you know, aren't bigger than, like, they can't hold more than 20 or 30 people. So right. being able to do a 70, 100, 200 person event on a Sunday afternoon was great business for the studio because they, you know, they would market it as a special event or a pop up and right. people just love being outdoors, you know? Um, so that's where it, it started for us. And of course, like, I came to the dream crusher of all cities. I brought, you know, this whole thing back to New York. I started walking around, going to all the top yoga studios, being like, look, like, this is cool. Like, this is what we're doing in Hong Kong. And they're like, this isn't real yoga. (laughs) (laughs) This is exactly, well, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. It's it's a it's like what is real yoga? I mean, well, you know, what, hatha yoga is real yoga, and right. everybody has a spinoff of it. So. Right, but yeah. for us, you know, I I was very intentional at the beginning because I knew that there'd be a lot of skeptics in the space. But it was very intentional for me to make sure that we were respectful of the practice of yoga as it is. Like I I wanted it to be traditional yoga, whether it's vinyasa, whatever. Right. But we would have this sonic enhancement. That's really what we were trying to deliver was just a better audio experience for people. So when people come to a sound off yoga class, we're not like changing what people normally do. No, it's regular asana practice. Exactly. Um, and, but you could just hear better. Right. Right. And, um, and actually we were very intentional about not incorporating silent disco or dancing into yoga at the beginning because we didn't want the traditionalists to be like, look at these guys trying to make a mockery of like what's going on here in the space. And so I was like, yeah, everything was just like vinyasa enhanced with sound off headphones, you know, hatha enhanced with sound off headphones, sound bath enhanced with sound off headphones. And that's what like we've been all about you know, since the get. So, um, we were fortunate to get some opportunities and, and, and through the glory of Instagram, you know, we started being approached by, um, you know, organizers and studios that are, um, I'd say like more out, out of the box. Like they're always looking for sort of new and creative, uh, ways and, um, you know, unique events to bring to their studios or to their spaces. And, and so that was great for us because right at the beginning, you know, we were, we were producing two, 300, 400, 500 person yoga events. And everyone's like, like, how is this happening? Because, you know, like if you have a 50 person yoga class or event, like that's a great event. And we just sort of out of nowhere started like having these huge experiences is because prior to this, you'd have to run sound and get like, you know, spend thousands and thousands of dollars on like with engineering and whatever it is. And even at that, you know, at that level or that rate, it would still be difficult for people to hear. Yeah, all, you know? I was going to say, like, also, you know, in that size class, like, you can't hear the teacher. And, and in, anyway, in that size class, a, teach, a yoga teacher would have a couple of assistants, like, directing people and helping mm-hmm. them get into the different asanas. But it's tremendously advantageous to have the headphones on to be able to really feel connected like it's your experience in the room exactly. with that teacher. Yeah. So it's real and it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. fun. It's been a great journey and we love it. Um, And, you know, we've been able to spin off of that. So we do yoga and meditation. We do, um, you you mentioned running. So, yeah. You took this yoga class in Tulum and it inspired you to build an entire other component of your business. But you're not a yogi, you're a runner. So, how did you get into running? I, So, I got into running in high school. 
but I was a short distance runner. I ran the 400 and four by four and I did, you know, long jump and high jump. Um, but I, you know, I was never going to the Olympics or whatever it was. Running just became, um, a way for me to stay active and, you know, be in the outdoors. I went to college in Colorado, so it was just like great going for runs and Where'd you um, go to college? I went to University of Denver. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh and actually running was sort of a savior for me as um when I got into the optical industry and I was doing all the traveling, you know, it's hard, you know, I was going all around the country. So it's hard to get a membership that carries everywhere. Um, it's hard to, you know, like my schedule is crazy. So, you know, signing up for a class and like not being able to make it like it just, you know, that kind of sucked. Um, but with a pair of running shoes, it didn't matter where I was, I could just pop up, you know, and hit the road for an hour in the morning and, and get some miles in. And so, um, that um, became my, you know, my daily exercise while I was on the road, and uh, sort of interesting coming into the into the wellness space because I was never like I like I definitely have undiagnosed ADD, right? <laughs> like one hundred percent. Yes. When I was so far, we're good though. <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, you were just disobedient. Like like ADD wasn't like a thing in my community, right? right? Um, but now I'm like, ooh. Yeah, there's something going on, but but like for me, running was my meditation because like I could tell like if I went for a run in the morning, I was just like grounded and centered and like ready to go, you know. So I loved that because I just felt you know from a business execution standpoint, I was just better when I was exercising, you know. Right. Um, and so um, so that was always part of my thing, and I had some friends that were doing. Um, a Ragnar Relay. Have you ever done one of those? I haven't done one, but I've been invited to do one once or twice. I was, it was the timing was off, but I definitely, I would definitely say yes. It's to so that. much fun. Yeah. It's so much fun. So we, um, I had a friend that was, uh, putting together a team for Ragnar and they last minute had someone that got sick or got injured and, and couldn't run. And so my friend Lauren was like, Hey, um, would you be interested in joining us? You know, we've got a spot open on the team and like, I'd always run outside of, you know, my, you know, morning running, but I would, you know, do like five miles or something like that. But I was never running really long distances. Right. And, um, but I said, yeah, sure. Like, let's, let's do it. It was maybe like two or three weeks out and I just jumped in and my legs combined. So the way that Ragnar works, it's like a, it's a 200 mile relay and you split it up in teams of, you know, four, eight, 16, and you split up the legs. We were a group of eight but my combined legs were 18 miles, right? Oh so you do this in 24 to yeah. 27 hours. And, um, and we actually had a teammate that got injured and like, I was feeling good. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take your legs. So I ended up like busting out like 24 miles. I'd literally never run that much in my life. And I just did it. And then, you know, our team, we did, you know, I don't know, like, half a dozen plus races together and that was just really fun but one of the things that I realized you know we would do like group runs in the city we would all as we were running we'd plug in our earphones or our headphones right. and we'd, we'd run but we were not connected, connected. Yeah. and so I was like I have this whole company that's all about like connecting people through audio like there's got to be a way for me to translate this into running and so uh, I spent some time I found um uh, a designer, which is actually like a really cool process getting to, from a, uh, a textile perspective, create something from scratch, um, who built some running vests. And, uh, you know, at the beginning I didn't have a model for like 
what we're going to do in the running space because right. running's free. Right. So I didn't really know how to monetize yeah. it, but like yeah. I just thought that it'd be cool for everyone to be running together to the same music, to the same beat. One of the things that I noticed um, is in my own playlist, um, I would notice I would run quicker or slower based off of what was playing. So sometimes I was like, I thought that I had this jamming playlist, but then I would notice the BPMs were kind of low and that would slow down my time. And so I was like, well, you know, if we were able to, one, connect people through all this sound, so everyone's listening to the same thing at the same time, and two, we were able to bring in a coach to cue people as they're going along and encourage them and, and keep a pace, but three, also design the music so you have consistent BPM that is working in conjunction with the pace that you're trying to keep. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not like a scientist or like a, but, but all those things seem to make sense. And it was just anecdotal from what I was experiencing as a runner. I was like, I want to run faster. And I know that I'm running faster when I've got this song or these group of songs that are hitting at 130 BPM or whatever it is. Right. So, um, we just started playing with that. And then like people started seeing it. They're like, we want to do this, you know, sound off running experience. And so like, that's been really fun for us. Um, just, you know, again, another area that like, like we didn't know that we would get into, but I think there's a really cool application for that, especially um, in group runs. We've run, um, we've done a lot of runs with um, uh, a running group down in South Beach, and they do these massive, you know, you know, 200, 300 person runs. But like they'll have pacers that are trying to keep people together. But like we can run a group of 200 people. So you tag on to the pacers, like so, with the. Yeah, we'll have it? like the lead pacer right. wearing our because I know how the headphones. Work. Yeah, yeah, we have our lead pacer wearing the vest that we designed. It's got you know a battery pack. It's got a microphone system. It's got a mixing whatever component all into it, and so they're leading. They've got a mic, and so they can talk to people along the run, and it enables them to keep everyone together. Right, you can imagine that. Like, yeah, I can never find the pacer. I mean, there's a big sign, but like, or I you've can't got someone see, with the blow so, horn. Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. Know. <laughs> I'm like, what? Which one is the pacer? Which right. person's the pacer? And it, but if you have yeah. earphones on, yeah, if you have headphones on, yeah. you you can't hear them, no, right? And so you're you're getting lost. So it's been really interesting, sort of getting into that space, and we're still rifting on like. Yeah, we're going to do something. I have an idea already. I feel like. Because it's also maybe the theme of the day because I'm really excited to go over to the track on the east side because mm-hmm. I, I, allegedly it's supposed to get warm out today. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, setting up in the middle there and sort of having people do speed work. Yeah. And talk. Like, yeah, because I feel like on an endurance run, it's kind of harder to manage a group, especially in New York City. Yeah. And no, all the frequencies. We've done some track work actually with Nike. They, uh, when they launched their running app, they've done like, bunch of demos with influencers and stuff like that on the track because you, you know, you press play, you have the coach that's guiding you, but since everyone's on the same loop, we've got, you know, we've got enough range from our transmitter that people can just follow the coaching and run at their own speed, even, you know, so that's one way that we can do that, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. That's so cool. So now are you, do you have any races coming up? I don't, which I'm actually like really, I need to like get something on my radar. Um, I've been slacking on my running, to be honest. Been, so did you, sorry, did you end up, have you done any marathons or? I haven't. It's on my bucket list. I actually, I really want to run the New York City Marathon, but I've been trying, like I've in my, it's one of my goals to run it and qualify for it, but it's so hard to qualify. So it's like, I have to really put in place a training regimen. 
I was always a decent runner and I know I could, you know, I could get there if I was actually working at it. But like right now, like the work life training, you know, because you're busy with sound off. It's, you know, it's hard to like train to make New York city marathon pace, but I, I, you know, I, I'd love to run a marathon. I think it'd be great. And I think, you know, I think that marathons are so inspiring Yeah, and I've watched the race. I've been there. I've cheered for my friends that have been running in it. And, um, you just see people from all walks of life coming together to just like accomplish this thing. And, and it's actually one of the things that I love about running. I find that there is actually like, a an interesting business parallel, right? Because a marathon it's, it's challenging, right? It's super challenging, but you can do it. You yeah. just have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you can make it to the finish line, right? You got an injury, you got a cramp in your, you know, like grab some water, shake it off. You got to keep going. Right. And on uh, the days that are hardest, you know, I mean, still running a startup and, and we do have hard days. Um, I sort of go back to that. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, here's the pace. Like, here's where I got to go. You just keep pushing. Shake it off. You got to shake it off. Keep going. You know, because like you can do it. It sounds like just based on our conversation that you excel in the face of adversity. (laughs) I mean, you've had a lot of people tell you no and you just keep going and you've got this great business and you've had other great businesses. So talk to me. I want to rewind for a second, though. Yeah, I think if. You want to find success as an entrepreneur, you really, really, really have to believe in what you're doing, period. Because if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe in what you're doing, first of all, if you're building a team, it's hard for that to permeate into the team. But before you get to having a team, you have to believe in it enough to get there, right? You have to believe in it enough to like say no to people if it's not the right thing, knowing that the right opportunity is going to present itself if you keep, you know, continue moving forward sort of like funny and related kind of sad but I most people don't know about me is I actually didn't really have friends until I was like 12 years old 12 13 and I um you know in my childhood I spent a lot of time trying to like assimilate to like what other people like what I thought they would like for me to be and you know like it it was just hard because like I was trying to change myself for other people and i like it just wasn't connected. And one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? Like I'm just going to be me and I'm gonna, just going to do whatever it is that I'm doing. And the people that love me for that, like, great. Like, thanks for coming along the ride. And the people that don't, it's been nice knowing you, you know, but like polarizing that for me and just being like, it's okay if people don't like you, it's okay if people don't like what you're doing. I think that like I always look back on those moments, you know, when like things are hard. I'm like, you know what? It's okay. Like you don't need this deal right now. Or this client is a pain in the ass. Like you don't need this person right now. Just move on. You know, and I think a lot of times it's hard for entrepreneurs because everyone around you has got an opinion, right? And this isn't to say that you don't listen to what's going on around you. It's not to say that you don't take constructive feedback. But if you're trying to implement everything that everyone tells you, you you just, you lose focus and you kind of lose track of where you're going, you know? So you kind of have to stay strong and sometimes just be like, you know, it is what it is and you're either going to like it or you're not. For us, that was the best thing that happened. I loved having this product that like people were either like on board or not on board. There is no middle ground with sound off. And that's actually the greatest thing for us. You know, I don't have to convince people that are lukewarm that like they have to get excited. 
like I've got the people that are super thrilled about what we're doing and they're amazing ambassadors for the work that we're doing. They spread the love and the joy and they keep us fueled. But yeah, I think that's a, a really challenging thing for people to come to terms with, especially as you're starting a business. I definitely agree. I mean, starting a podcast, you know, a couple of years ago, most people didn't know what I was doing. I mean, there were people who certainly did that were much more ahead of the curve and definitely you know, dialed into what was happening in the world of media. But I feel like it has finally come mainstream. And I just, if I were a surfer, I would have just gotten on the wave Mm -hmm. because now everyone's podcasting. Yeah, but I mean, people, you know, would say to me, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you wasting your time doing that? But I love innovating. I love being a trailblazer and being a trailblazer and pioneer is always a challenge. And you have people that are going to tell you your idea is ridiculous. And and that's great. Let them do their thing and you do yours. Right. Yeah. You yeah. can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. But I want to rewind back to your childhood because you were saying that you were a classical musician. Mm-hmm. Is that what you wanted to do? Was that? How did no. you get into that? Um, I actually got into that. Because I was annoying my mother. Okay. So, (laughs) and I love my mom. Hi, mom. I used to just like walk around the house and I'd always be like coming and snapping and, you know, tapping. And she was like, stop humming all the time. Stop whistling. You know, I was always just doing things musically. I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't involved in anything. How old were you? young, probably like, you know, five, six, whatever it was, you know, and I was, but always tinkering with something or like making sounds. And, and so my mom wanted to find a way to channel that. So she had found out about this group called the Children's Aid Society or the Children's Aid Society. They had a choir, uh, was led by a guy named Francisco Nunez and he was, uh, incredible, but the Children's Aid Society was right next door to like the boys choir of Harlem. So like we went in for an audition, we saw like boys choirs like I went in I auditioned at the wrong place right but they liked me and they like actually offered me a spot and as we're walking out like we saw the place that I was actually supposed to go and audition so we went in we auditioned (laughs) with them and uh I joined I ended up joining their choir and I sang with them uh for a couple years and uh in my fifth grade I was at this Montessori school in Harlem and I was actually really bored at the time I was really fortunate as a kid and I think you know my parents coming here and me being first generation, there was a lot of you know pressure on me to be successful and find success. I was in summer school. I was in extracurricular stuff. I was always studying as a kid. And so my fifth grade, I, I wasn't super challenged. And I had a headmaster, the headmaster at my school. He was connected to the headmaster at a school called the St. Thomas Choir School. And that's a specialized school for music. It's down downtown on 57th Street. And he said, you know, I've got this guy. I think you should talk to him. And it was... I was a very interesting applicant because the school's very small. It's a private school, 32 kids in the school. Wow. At the time, there were eight kids in my class, and they opened up a spot for me mid-year. I got really lucky because, uh, you know, to get into that school, you had to pass like an IQ test. You had, to, you had to play an instrument. You had to be able to sing. It was a boarding school, so you had to be in, com- the city. in the city. So you had to be comfortable living away from home. Now, mind you, I was eight years old when I went there. And I was the only kid at the time uh, from New York that went there. And there was kids from Korea, from Europe, from you know Boston, California, whatever it is. But they all came here to study music. And so we had a really rigorous musical program. We would have rehearsal every day from, I think it was like 
seven to 10 in the morning. And then we had full academic schedule and then we played sports in the afternoons and we studied. And then Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and three times on Sundays, we sang for St. Thomas Church. That's over on, uh, I think it's 53rd and 5th Avenue. So I did that for the duration of my middle school. Did you like it? I love the musical program. It was actually interesting because it was, I had a difficult time fitting in there. I was just very different. And I was lucky, you know, they gave me a full scholarship to go there. My, you know, my mom at the time, she was a New York City teacher. She did not have private school income. And so like, I didn't really fit in from like an economic standpoint. I was like, I was the only minority at the school at the time. It was like very like an oddball, but they gave me a chance and, and I, I did really well there. I loved the singing element. And, you know, we had a great group of guys that I got to know and we're still all connected today. And a lot of them have gone on to be opera singers my uh, my buddy Dan he's won like three Grammys for albums that he's produced there's a lot of the guys that I went to school with that are all related they're all they've all moved into the music industry from middle school I went to high school in New Canaan Connecticut and I in another boarding program there and I was in a touring madrigal choir for four years there as a singer, and I, I learned how to play piano. I, I don't really play, I can still do a couple of ditties. I wouldn't consider myself a pianist. Like, Murray is a pianist. You yes, know? he is. Just like I can, you know, bust out chopsticks now. And so I did music all through high school, and that was fun. We, we toured Australia, and we went to Iceland as well, which is like a fun, fascinating place to go if you've never been. Yeah, and you just went back, right? I did. Recently. I did. Yeah, I just went back in January, which is really cool. And then when I went to college, I wanted to do a cappella. I started like a little group. Oh, that's so funny. And Did you yeah. know that Lori was an acapella singer? No, that's yeah. amazing. Oh my God, I have to connect. Now I have to connect you to uh, reconnect <laughs> because we're all, we all are friends. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So you were in an acapella. Yeah, so we group. did acapella. And then, um, but then I was very eager to finish college quickly. So I finished in three years instead of four. And so just with like workload, I was also working full time on top of that. I started like a little like entertainment side business as well. So I was doing a lot and just schedules and all that stuff it just became challenging. So what's been cool for me in all of this is that having a musical background in I'm still involved in the music industry. I knew that I wasn't going to be Pavarotti, you know, like that just was not my trajectory, but like, I love, you know, music and it's a huge part of me. It's a huge part of my ethos and kind of where I've come from And it. And actually music has given me it's helped me create every opportunity that I've gotten along the way. So it's really special that I can be in the music industry and connected to all these people that are super talented. I still have an ear for sound and, you know, know what sounds good. And I think that really plays a lot into sort of our delivery experience or our clients because I am hypersensitive to how things sound. And that's a huge component of because you can have bad sounding headphones, yes. for instance, or you, you know, and that can like impact. I've become a little bit of a headphone snob. Yeah. No, I mean. <laughs> Your it, headphones are amazing. Like when you. we did our live to headset podcast, it was crystal clear even better than we sound now but that has to be in a controlled environment where there aren't signals coming in the sound on the headphones is amazing thank you we we went to great lengths to make sure that that was there because it's the difference between people having an immersive experience that that's impactful and for them being like oh this is a cool gimmick right like the audio's got to be right yeah it's good it's great 
So what's next for Sound Off? Because I know you have some exciting things on the horizon. There's so many things that are going on. We're just trying to keep the lid on this like thing that's exploding. You know, it's uh, it's been exciting that you know after four years of really being in the trenches, that we're we've just got great expansion. We're in 12 markets in the U.S. We're in Canada. We're still in Hong Kong. We've got European business that's picking up. We've got affiliates that are around the world. So it's been really exciting to be a part of that. We're particularly excited about the work that we've been doing in the wellness space. And it's funny, once I came back from Hong Kong and understanding that we had this special thing with within the wellness space, I remember telling my team, I was like, this is going to be the most impactful work that we do. And what's been cool, I mean, I love silent disco and, and, and it brings people together and it's fun and, and it's still great for us. It's still a big part of you know what we do. But I think that with this technology and being able to pioneer the application for the technology in the wellness space, it really transforms people, right? Like there's stuff like, you know, along the way we've learned about how binaural beats change um, and meditations and and all that stuff. And being able to do that in a group setting is, is really powerful. Along the way, we've been experimenting. We've actually been uh, a part of a clinical trial the last 15 months with a healthcare group in, in Western Canada who's using our headphones for sound therapy, group sound therapy for patients with dementia and brain trauma. So we're really excited about that just from earlier thinking that this was going to be the most impactful work that we we're going to do, but not realizing that the technology would have the capability to touch people in this way. I think that like what we're doing really has the power to change lives. Like from what we're seeing in sort of early results, it's it's transforming people you know people right. that were completely catatonic that had no recollection like it's bringing back memories it's making them you know it's bringing them like back through to sound. life through sound and you know we're not at this point we're not curating the soundscape we're working with sound therapists and stuff like that who are designing the audio for that it's funny but you're the vehicle like we're, your we're the delivery the, system you're the delivery system exactly and i think that for us what's really exciting is that you know, we're not a research company and we also like, we haven't funded this research. It's been a collaboration with this group. Um, I think there's a lot of applications for, for people that are suffering with pain. I mean, you know, we're starting to find that, you know, sound therapy can have great advantages for people that are suffering. And so in lieu of popping pills all day, you can sort of have this sonic tonic, if you will, that we can be behind delivering. So I'm really excited about that for us in the in the coming you know months and weeks and years. I think that's going to be a huge part of where we go, and uh, and I think that's ultimately probably what we'll be most remembered for. That's amazing. This has been so great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Me. Thank you for being on my podcast. Yeah, and I love this. Thanks for fueling our events this past winter it's been hopefully such we'll a, have more yeah no i mean and that's been you know like i loved you know when you're, you're like, like what hey, I've i got called this, you <laughs> like i have this idea and i was like i didn't get it but when i got to experience it like it totally made sense yeah. you know because i was really connected to what was going on i think you know it's interesting as when you sit in a panel sometimes you can get distracted by the people that are next to you. You have people that are on their phone or maybe having a conversation, but being able to put the headphones on and really hear with no distractions what's going on and listening to everyone. I think it's it's amazing. And um, So yeah, so thank you for opening my eyes to this. I, I hope that there's more that we can do in this space. Yeah, I think we're, we're kindred spirits that way. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to do this. Just give me the headphones. <laughs> And you're like, okay, fine. I'm a yes man, you know. I'm like, that. all right, cool. Let's let's try it. You know, I mean, what what could possibly go wrong? Exactly. You know. Awesome. This cool. was great. Thanks, Castell. Thank you. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.